Boy, this piece, I'll tell you what. I know. It really made us mad. Oh, my God. My blood boils. Hello, and welcome to This Is Cannabis from X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. I'm your host, Lee Henderson, co-founder of the Portland craft cannabis company, Hi-Fi Farms. And with me in the studio today is my co-host, Emma Chasen, the founder of Eminent Consulting. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm really good. It's great to be in the studio. Just us gals. I know. Just us girls. That's what I say when my wife goes out of town and I have my kids for the weekend. I have two daughters and I say, it's just us girls this weekend. Yeah, I love it. Uh, It's a bottle episode. It's a bottle episode. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I do. I this is. I I hope to do more of these where it's. Just, I love having guests. Yes. But I have re- am really excited about um, today's show. Before we get there, I needed to ask you, how is RuPaul's Drag Race going? Oh my God! Thank you sure. for asking me. Sure, sure. It is going pretty well. Uh, I don't want to give away any spoilers, mm-hmm. but right now. Um, all of the like all stars rules have been suspended, so we're kind of like in it's a it was a cliffhanger episode, the most recent episode. So they just like in a lawless state of anarchy. A kind, yeah, yeah, kind of the drag queen anarchy. It's a fun thing. Drag to queen watch. anarchy, great band name by the way. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I saw some good movies over the weekend with my. I saw Mary Poppins with my kids. Oh, how'd you like it? It was. Beautiful. Yeah, I grew up. It was beautiful. Mary Poppins was one of my favorite uh, movies growing up. I, it was like one of those ones I had on VHS mm-hmm. in the eighties. You yep. have no idea what I'm talking about. You were born in 1992. I, but I know what VHS is. Was okay. 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 Um, so I'm picture me like you know a seven year old boy in 1983 watching Mary Poppins over and over and over again. Oh, that is a precious image on VHS. That is uh, so sweet. And so seeing the new one, it was like it was. I was gonna go see it. I mean, I've got children, so that's why I went. But it was like way better than I necessarily expect, expected it to. And Lin Manuel Miranda is awesome. Oh, he yeah. does an incredible, incredible like showstopper of a piece. And uh, and then I also saw. Um, if Beale Street could talk, mm. uh, which is the guy Barry Jenkins who directed Moonlight, and it's based on a James Baldwin oh. story, and it is it's a really beautiful movie, oh. really really beautiful I, movie. I definitely want to go see that. I took your recommendation and I went and saw Vice, yes. and it is phenomenal. Phenomenal. It is phenomenal and terrifying, just as like. Um, What's his name? Adam? Adam McKay. Adam McKay does yeah. with the big short. Like, yeah. does the same thing yep. with this movie. And, oh, my God, it's so good. I will. I don't believe this is a spoiler, but when I, when I say, like, the credits gag, mm-hmm. I laughed so, so hard. So funny. So hard in the, in the movie so theater funny. that, like, I was, like, almost embarrassed. Yeah. Oh, I my. was, like, con- I couldn't stop laughing. That's His storytelling ability yep. is so good where it is... It's non-linear, so I also saw on the basis of sex, and I hated it because yep. it was just very like cheesy and sappy and just like very linear storytelling. Yep. Where he he completely deconstructs the linearity, and it is a phenomenal way of engaging you in like rather complex information mm-hmm. and, and inner workings of our government. Um, but I think everybody should see it. Yeah. Everybody oh yeah. No, I, I loved it. Yeah. Christian Bale. Oh my God! And Amy Adams. And Amy Adams. And um, oh Car- God. Carell. Yep. 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 Amazing. And the guy who's George Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. As George W. Bush. So good. Yep. Oof. Oh, I love movies. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. That's my like my New Year's resolution for 19 is to just see more movies all the time. Oh hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Movies are like my one of my all time favorite ways of 
relaxing and like treating myself going out to a movie it's nice yeah all right all right so um our topic today is going to be like we said it's a bottle episode it's just me and emma here um it's going to be a discussion inspired by a recent piece that journalist malcolm gladwell published in the new yorker uh, which was titled is marijuana as safe as we think spoiler alert he does not think that it is (laughs) Um, Gladwell, in my estimation, you know, uses alarmist maximalism and uh, reefer madness style straw men arguments under the guise of, you know, quote unquote, asking tough questions and then answers those loaded questions all with the series of, well, we don't know, you know, we mm-hmm. don't know whether these things are true or not. Um, the entire co- the entire article to me is is a completely like, you know, nonstop bad faith contrarian. Uh, piece of writing, classic case of uh, when did you stop beating your wife? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, uh, it's it touches on a lot, but its primary source is a new book by um, former New York Times reporter Alex Berenson, and that book is titled "Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence." Uh, that book, Berenson's book, argues among other things that quote. Uh, marijuana causes paranoia and psychosis. The fact that that fact is now beyond dispute. Paranoia and psychosis cause violence. Overwhelming evidence links psychotic disorders and violence, especially murder, um, which is to me just like a galactic syllogistic fallacy uh, for you know for you guys uh, out there at home. <laughs> It's awful. Uh, correlation and correlation does not imply causation. Nope. Does it, Emma? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But the way they formulate their arguments. Woo! I mean, just that is just the the syllogism to kill all other syllogisms. Um, Gladwell's piece got uh, rightfully, I believe, got a ton of criticism on Twitter, uh, as well as pieces that I read in both the Atlantic and the New York Times. Uh, and so um, we're going to talk about it. And, and and I thought the approach that we would take is to – so we're going to stipulate for the record that um, we here at This Is Cannabis strongly challenge the assertions strongly. in, in uh, Mr. Gladwell's piece in his New Yorker article, which again is titled, Is Marijuana as Safe as We Think? Uh, but in a show of good faith, we wanted to take this episode and offer a counterpoint um, – on the relative harm profile of Mother Nature's sacred herb. Mm-hmm. Put that one in there just for you. Thank you. Um, so, Emma, here is my question to you. Mm. Is cannabis safe? Ooh, million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is relatively safe yes. and harmless. So what that means is when we look at it in comparison to other alternatives for treatment of pain, epilepsy, cancer, yes, it is safer than a lot of the pharmaceutical options out there for you. Is it without risk or without negative side effect? No. Of course not. Any substance that we put into our body, it is rarely benign. Cannabis is not benign. It has incredible medical potential to help, but um, it can also cause harm. Again, that harm is when put up against the harm that opioids can cause, for example. It is relatively a lot safer. Can I ask you, as a baseline for this conversation, is anything safe? It's like, ooh, okay, how do we define safe? <laughs> right, you know, like, and that by, by, by things that you would, you know, is, is, 
Like, is anything benign? Is any yeah? Is there anything that's utterly benign? Is water? No, I mean, safe? do you remember? You know what I mean? Like, let just like I, you know, again, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be take the other side. Like, no, no, but some... it's an important thing. Do you remember when there was like a radio challenge happening? Ooh, ten plus years ago, where it's like, how much water can you drink? And oh, people yeah. were like dying, dying because they that. drank too much water. Right. So no, yeah. not even water is like, quote unquote, totally safe. Right. And I, and I feel like that's kind of a cop out, but you know, I'm not saying, well, water's not safe. So, you know, but again, I just want to want to establish, again, I want to establish baselines here before right. we, we kind of get like, into everything it. Everything has a side effect. Everything is going to cause some kind of reaction, whether it be positive, negative, or neutral. You can have a neutral reaction to something. It doesn't mean that it's inherently benign, however. Boy, this piece, I'll tell you what. I know. It really made oh, us mad. Oh my God. My blood boils because he. He formulates his arguments in such a way where, first of all, he's looking at such a narrow scope and really only pulling out the the facts or the data that aligns with his argument. He does not take into consideration anything from the other side, right. anything. Doesn't put it in a broader context. Nope, doesn't put it into a broader context and does not explain that this is correlative data, that it is not causative it's not cannabis causes violent crime and yet especially the way that berenson talks about can it. you we talk about correlative cor correlation versus causation for yes. a minute yes so correlation versus causation is something that we can map and we do map in different um different areas whether it be like market trends or um or data sets really okay. and correlation is when you can say oh Look, cannabis was legalized in Washington state in whenever it was 2014 and violent crime rose in Washington state between the years 2014 and 2017, as uh, Gladwell and Berenson both point out. Mm -hmm. That is correlation. Oh, I happened to dye my hair in 2014. The number of trees planted in Rhode Island increased in 2014. They may have nothing to do with each other, right. right? Causation, on the other hand, is when you can say, oh, I dyed my hair in 2014 and therefore I got cast in a production of hair. Right. You know, that's a, that's a, maybe a causation, okay. more, at least more causative than a correlative relationship. So it doesn't go. It's so going back to because they literally do say in the piece that violent crime went up in Washington State after. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, at the end of the New Yorker article, um, they they had there was a correction saying, "Oh, and originally the facts were misstated yes. in this article." But they do say that like violent crime went up in this in Washington State post, uh, you know, legalization, mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't talk about any of the cross pressures or any of the other uh, mitigating factors that also exactly. may have. Um, and I and one of the retorts that I read to the piece was, you know, it, it didn't also talk about how, um, you know, Washington uh, is now the 10th, the state, the 10th, uh, the state where it has the 10th worst inequality. And that has just been rising and rising and rising. Yeah. Um, and there's like, there's no mention of that as far as um, why crime may also be right. on the rise. Right. 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 So he takes nothing. So there, this whole article is just sort of taking into account. Um, it's just saying it's making all of these grand alarmist statements mm -hmm. um, and then saying, you know, look, we, you know, cannabis is legal now and schizophrenia is on the rise and or whatever it is. And, and, and he 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 he. Uh, 
he calls forth all of these really, uh, you know, alarmist, shocking sort of um, loaded facts. And then two paragraphs down, he says, is cannabis the cause? We don't know. Yeah, exactly. And that is called like literal fear mongering where you just throw only these facts out there where, of course, there are other variables at play. Washington state, for example, did not stay in a state of control in every other aspect of Washington state, meaning that like they're. employment stayed exactly the same. The population stayed exactly the same. Like every single thing in Washington state had to have stayed exactly the same while cannabis was implemented in order to draw that causative relationship between cannabis and crime. But he does not say that. Instead, he just throws out, look at how crime's been on the rise. Oh, and look, cannabis was legalized Uh, right around the same time. But Uh, who's to say? uh, I can't say. uh, I don't know. Just asking questions here. It's so misinformed and frustrating and so yeah so we you know like i said in my intro like he got a lot of pushback uh on twitter and then both in the new york times and the atlantic and and his response to the pushback was i can't believe people are so upset about this i'm just asking questions here which actually i feel like him doubling down on the on the sort of you know, I'm just asking questions here sort of thing. Just just made it worse. And, it's and gaslighting. It is it's gaslighting, gaslighting 101 hmm. to say, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at all you crazy pot smokers having such a crazy reaction. Maybe look at yourself. What's wrong with you? I'm just asking questions. Well, no, you're not. When you have that type of platform, you have a responsibility to deliver right. Quality information, well-researched information, especially when you are being supported by a national and very well-respected publication. So, no, no, sir. Look at yourself in the mirror and also maybe reread your piece because you were doing a lot less question asking and more just statement giving. I feel like you're yelling at me right now. Sorry. No, it's... I'm yelling at Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, okay. So, again, uh, let's get into... let's. Let's get into his argument and well, some of his argument and let's just have our own discussion on is cannabis safe. So mm-hmm. let's first talk about um, I feel like we've pretty thoroughly bitch slapped this guy now. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the uh, association between schizophrenia mm. and cannabis use. OK, because, again, guys, we want to say, like, you know, we may have found this um, article completely frustrating and ridiculous, but um, if it had if it had been better argued we may have very well agreed with it because we don't believe the cannabis is perfect and uh especially for something that has only really been you know what would you say like available to to sort of even um get anecdotal research about for in the last i mean i feel like it's it's been what less than 10 years you know what i mean so um there's a lot to say about it that is that is amazing there is some to say about it that isn't so Mm -hmm. let's talk about So let's start with uh, the association between schizophrenia and cannabis use. Sure. Yeah. So first, I'd like to say that um, specifically in the way that Berenson constructs his argument, I think that it was very inappropriate in terms of how he framed schizophrenia and psychosis. How schiz- and sorry, let me stop you right there and just remind people that Berenson is a former New York Times reporter who's coming out with a new book you may or may not be hearing about in the coming weeks and months that Gladwell based his article on. I just want to make sure yes. that that's clear. I'm sorry. Yes. No, it's okay. And in, in, in Berenson's argument, he he draws this assumption or he uses the assumption that schizophrenic patients and patients who experience psychosis are inherently violent, which I think is awful and um, and 
So right off the bat, immediately he's framing immediately he's framing schizophrenia incorrectly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Where a lot of research actually shows that schizophrenic patients are more often than not uh, the victims of violent crimes rather than the perpetrators of violence. So that I think is is right off the bat um, something that should just be addressed that the way that he frames mental health and mental illness was in a very like shaming, almost derogatory way, which right. I thought was awful. Now to get to the connection between schizophrenia and cannabis. So we do have research that tells us that when people who are already predispositioned to develop a psychotic condition in later in life in their 20s, um, when those people expose themselves to high concentrations of THC from an early age, we're talking prior to 18 years old, then it increases the likelihood that they will have a psychotic episode, that they will have psychosis later in life. What the the articles or the the book that Berenson and then the article that Gladwell writes also refuses to talk about is that cannabis is not only THC. And this is something that we've talked about a lot, mm -hmm. where it is so much more than that. It is quite a complex medicinal plant with many different compounds. And there is actually a ton of research that shows us that CBD can help to lessen the symptoms of psychosis, that it can help to calm people down who are experiencing a psychosis episode. There's research that um, that leads us to believe or leads us to draw certain conclusions that certain terpenes in cannabis, like linalool from lavender, also helps to reduce the frequency of psychotic episodes. And so we need to move beyond this very narrow scope of looking at just THC as the the only thing that cannabis has and does offer people, because it's not the case. Right. Um, but again, that being said, there is some research to support that if people are predispositioned to psychosis, to schizophrenia, and they expose themselves to large concentrations of THC from an early age, they're more likely to develop psychosis. To develop it and perhaps it would be perhaps exacerbated by it or... Maybe. Again, that's a that's a big maybe. There's a big question mark there because we don't have that long-term data. Like you said, we are now coming out of quite a dark age of mm -hmm. a research blackout where we have a considerable amount of data on the isolated compounds, on THC, on rat models. We do not have a lot of data on, um, on how the full spectrum of compounds works in human beings long term. Rat Models, also a great band name, by Rat the way. Rat Models. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So and then what about can you uh, what about bipolar disorder? And mm. I don't know. Um, I don't fully understand the difference between bipolar and schizophrenia. And then I don't know if there's an association between uh, cannabis and bipolar disorder that makes mm. it that makes it worse. I have uh, I have a friend who has bipolar disorder who will not use cannabis because she is afraid that mm. it will. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. do you do you know anything about that? Yes. So. This is, I'll, I'll say first, I'll qualify this uh, conversation around psychosis and personality disorders, which bipolar disorder falls under, in that already the mental health community, um, the psychology, psychiatric community does not really understand how to treat these disorders with a pharmaceutical approach, with a Western approach at let all, alone. let alone with a, with a medicinal plant approach. Um, we just don't really understand what's happening fully in the brain that's creating this cognitive dissonance distortion. Um, 
the difference between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder is that bipolar disorder falls under personality disorder. So it's very hard to regulate your personality, meaning that um, people with personality disorder will act out in certain ways. And there are many different types of personality disorder. With bipolar, for example, you usually go through a cycling where you go through a manic phase where you're really right. high energy. It's oftentimes marked by promiscuity for a lot of people um, and just like like high energy to the point of of mania not yeah. being able to engage in daily life and then you cycle through that and you go into a depressive episode where you can't do anything where you're just in a major depression and so the way that western medicine treats that uh, is typically through lithium which is a mood stabilizer which mm -hmm. basically takes away all emotions so um, I've heard from people who do have bipolar disorder who do who are on lithium where it just creates a sense of like apathy generalized apathy where you really Really don't feel anything it's a numbness again that's not a great way to treat something because a lot of these people end up going off their lithium because they're like well i'd rather feel something even if it makes me crazy even if it makes me feel crazy Quote, crazy exactly yeah. with schizophrenia on the other hand it's not a personality disorder. Um, it is marked by delusions and hallucinations, whether they be auditory or visual. And so you're kind of like living in, in another world where, yes, there are some schizophrenic patients who do hear auditory delusions, hallucinations that tell them to kill other people. Sure. But there are also a large population of schizophrenics who don't, who aren't violent, who their auditory hallucinations and delusions um, don't go into a violent realm, but still still are not of the like tangible reality that um, we we typically exist in, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. So the the bottom so bottom line it for me. Bottom line with cannabis for you. Schizophrenia and cannabis. So schizophrenia and cannabis, we've seen CBD specifically be able to help um, reduce the cognitive dissonance there. I don't know if there is a lot of, I don't think there is a lot of good research to draw any type of conclusions around um, CBD being able to reduce the likelihood of delusions or hallucinations. It's more on like mood. It just helps to calm um, people. Bipolar is really tricky. It's really tricky. I have seen some research that says that CBD also helps to like stabilize mood a little bit. So it reduces the, the mood cycling, those big up and downs. I've also seen some research that says that THC exacerbates that mood cycling. Um, I've also heard anecdotal evidence that CBD exacerbates mood cycling and THC helps to reduce it. So, I mean, again, when we're dealing with these... Uh, these mental illnesses that we already don't really have such a profound understanding of how our physiology is is changing or responding to um, distorted exactly yeah. exactly um, then how do we treat it we can't we don't have a good solution from a Western approach so it's hard to then create a good solution with a plant that yes has a ton of promise and potential but not a lot of research behind whatsoever and that is almost impossible to standardize dose. Right, uh, which we're going to talk about. Um, so let's 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 go to that now. Um, I want to ask you about cannabis overdoses, um, and this I want to read you this. I want to read you a little bit from the Gladwell piece, and this was actually something that I agreed with. You know, mm -hmm. like there's I will I will stipulate there there are some things, uh, little nuggets of truth and and maybe even wisdom uh, in the Gladwell piece that overall, again, I found to be very hyperbolic and uh, maximalist and um, 
ill and uh, you know not well done let's just say but uh so here's here's the quote from the labwell piece uh quote figuring out the dose response relationship of a new compound is something that a pharmaceutical company does from the start of trials in human subjects as it prepares a new drug application for the fda too little of a powerful drug means that it won't work too much means that it might do more harm than good. The amount of active ingredient in a pill and the metabolic path that the ingredient takes after it enters your body, these are things that drug makers will have painstakingly mapped out before the product comes on the market um, with a tractor trailer full of supporting documentation. He goes on to say, because of recent developments in plant... Oh, wait, so, wait, so, so that's the first quote. So before, I, I would like to now talk about um, cannabis overdoses and... Um, can we first talk about the dose-response relationship um, and how that f- may or may not factor in to and then and what is a cannabis overdose? Is it is it safe? Sure. You know, like that's sure. The... Yeah. So, okay. So touching on a few things from because this one gets weird. That quote because if you're stoned, typically uh, are you definitionally having an, like somewhat of a cannabis sure. overdose, right? Yeah. So like yeah, absolutely. And the therapeutic therapeutic window for cannabis and when we say therapeutic window it means okay what's the lowest dose that someone out there will experience um, a a positive symptom relief and what's the highest dose out there that somebody um, will need to experience a positive symptom relief Um, and the therapeutic window for cannabis that window is so large we're like yeah somebody can experience somebody can only uh take or only need two milligrams of thc to have a a positive experience full of symptom relief somebody could need 2000 milligrams of thc to feel anything to feel any kind of symptom relief and so when you're dealing with that large of a therapeutic window yes it is incredibly hard to standardize a dose and i'm sorry let me ask you is that because the endocannabinoid system differs or varies from person to person and that's why yes pe- some people need two milligrams versus 2000 or whatever help, part me, under- of it. help me explain yes that. so help me understand that yes so part of it is because of the unique nature of everybody's endocannabinoid receptor system um but you also need to look at it holistically and from an integrative standpoint where every person's physiology down to every single system down to their metabolism down to the level of their neurotransmitters and hormones is specific to them their weight what they ate that day exactly exactly and it's constantly changing so it's not like who my physiology is today will be the same as tomorrow it won't even be the same as tonight after i've eaten dinner and so with that kind of approach to personalized medicine it requires a personalized dose um and that personalized dose that personalized medicine is typical of any medicinal plant it is it is actually way more weird to have the allopathic standardized model that we do to have a universal which you define as what which i define as as what our our medical system looks like right now where yes as gladwell described the drug goes through many trials it's one isolated compound they have a bucket load of research behind them so they can standardize a dose they can say yeah 15 milligrams of x y and z pharmaceutical will give 90 percent of people this experience and so that's what we're going to market as the standardized dose for this pill it's interesting you know it's such a weird just to take a step back for a second it's such an interesting 
the, this argument or these arguments are so interesting and, and weird and, and completely Byzantine because we're thinking about if we're, we're now talking about cannabis as it's the same thing as a Western prescription medicine. Exactly. And then and then when you start, when I start thinking about like what a shot of whiskey does for me versus what a shot of whiskey mm-hmm. does for my wife, like you know if, if it's not medicine, it's just sort of like the, the you know the how we're we're different. We have different physiologies. We metabolize alcohol differently or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is also that in yep. some ways. I mean, it's not a perfect allegory, but it's like. So where in the... <laughs> exactly. You know. I think it's nonsensical to try to fit cannabis, which is one of the most pharmacologically diverse medicinal plants on the planet, into this allopathic, standardized pharmaceutical model. Right. Why are we trying to do that? Also, pharmaceuticals, like while they are great in some cases, and Western medicine is wonderful if you need a limb amputated, or if you need to get an MRI, or if you have a heart attack, yeah, Western medicine medicine is great. It is not great for preventative prophylactic care for general health and wellness, which is what cannabis's category is. Cannabis is not going to save you from a heart attack. Cannabis is not going to save your limb if it needs to be amputated. But what it can do is it can just promote a higher level of general health and wellness. It can help the body to function better. But that's going to be very personal to you as to what type and what dose of cannabis is needed to, to help bring your body back into balance in the same way like you know how they used to i don't even know if they say this anymore but like they used to say like drink a glass of wine at night is good for your heart right right is there like where where does that part fit into what we're talking about like it's because you know again because it seems like we're talking we're talking about one thing but it all it can be described as this one thing again like you know the sort of western medicine Mm -hmm. western you know um civilization prescription medicine on the other side it's sort of like this you know, this uh, it's like a glass of it's like a bottle of wine, perhaps, or whatever. And it's sure. Sure. Yeah. It's in this weird. Blurry it's so muddled zone. to me. I, you know, exactly. I'm, I'm not even exactly sure what I'm trying to say right now, but you kind of do. No, I get it. I get it because it is in the weird, like blurred gray area yeah. of medical versus lifestyle. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. And so it is more so like, yes, take your tincture of cannabis medicine, a full spectrum, multi cannabinoid terpene. Um, cannabis medicine every day in the evening to prevent inflammation to prevent right. pain right yeah. that those are areas where we to at prevent least, um uh epileptic seizures to prevent gastric distress like there are there are all different things that we experience on the daily inflammation pain gastric distress that cannabis can help to fr- prevent if taken on a consistent regimen of the right medicine. So that's one audience, and then the other audience, you say, have a have a little bit of this rather than you know, it, 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 like you would have a glass of wine or two at, at night to relax and watch a movie. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just to giggle with your partner, or whatever. Why you know? it is exactly, you use it. exactly. Okay. So okay. So getting back. Sorry, I know we kind of got off track here. So getting back to overdoses specifically. Okay. So yes. what is a cannabis overdose? And yes. then I would I want to ask you some questions about cannabis overdose. Okay. So because that therapeutic window is so large, a cannabis overdose will look different, will be a different dose to everybody. So for me, like an edible overdose is maybe around 15 to 20 milligrams of THC, where if I've had that much THC, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not, it's not going to kill me by any means, um, but I 
I definitely may feel a little anxious and paranoid. Mm -hmm. Um, For somebody else, it could take 250 milligrams of THC until they experience those more negative side effects, which is considered, to me, how I define an overdose, a cannabis overdose, if you do have more of the negative side effects. For other people, um, like a lot of my friends, if they have more than five milligrams of THC, then they're like, they can't go out. They are completely riddled with anxiety and elevated heart rate. yeah, I'm like, raising my like hand. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, cannabis, it is important to say, has no defined lethal dose. Right. So this also takes into consideration that we are somewhat reframing the definition of overdose. Where when I think of overdose, I think of somebody who's like overdosed on uh, like opioids, for example, and is in a hospital bed and may not survive yeah, the man. night. Um, when you overdose on cannabis, you'll be anxious and paranoid and you could even like put yourself into a temporary psychotic state where you believe that somebody's outside the door trying to kill you. Again, it doesn't mean that the cannabis will kill you. The cannabis is not killing you. Right. It is definitely creating a cognitive distortion that typically for most people doesn't last more than uh, a few hours or at the most extreme cases, a couple of days. And then you can go on with your life and and feel very normal. Is the couple of days thing really real? So due to specifically edibles and edible right, ingestion, right. Uh, which we've talked which about. Which we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, that can induce a longer duration of a psychotic state. Yeah. Um, talk to me about tolerance. Mm. So tolerance also looks different for everybody because it's personalized. Um, a fun fact about THC is that you can develop tolerance to the psychotropic effects of THC, meaning that you can develop tolerance to the high and to the negative side effects like anxiety, paranoia, et cetera. Um, however, you can't develop tolerance to the symptom relief that THC will give, which is awesome. So that means that if you do a regimented dose increase, which for patients who are experiencing uh, more severe medical ailments that maybe require a very high dose cannabinoid uh, therapy in order to uh, help mitigate certain symptoms, but they don't want the the negative, uncomfortable side effects that come with being so high from that high-dose cannabinoid uh, consumption, you could do a regimented dosing increase where you start with a very small amount of THC and slowly but surely increase the dose in small increments. Once you get up to the target dose, as long as the person stays on that dose, they can continue experiencing the same level of symptom relief that they were from the start without experiencing any of the high or the uncomfortable side effects. If that makes sense. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit with Dr. Eddie Wilson Poe, I recall. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So if you are looking um, to take a tolerance break, which happens when people do consume so much THC that they're no longer getting high from it, it really only takes typically 48 hours. So 48 hours, you abstain from consuming THC. You can even consume some CBD and it helps to reset your tolerance to the psychotropic effects. That, I will say, is um, typically for people who only smoke flour. So for people who are smoking concentrates or dabbing where the THC concentration gets to 70, 80% sometimes, then a tolerance break may need to be a little longer duration to reset those receptors and allow you to to feel uh, the same level of, of psychotropic activity from a smaller dose. 
Okay, so I want to bring in this 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 one more quote from the Gladwell piece, um, which was interesting to me, and I would like to hear your thoughts on it, please. Uh, the quote is, because of recent developments in plant breeding and growing techniques, the typical concentration of THC, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, has gone from the low single digits to more than 20%. Uh, or from a swig of near beer to a tequila shot? Are users smoking less to compensate for the drug's new potency or simply getting more stoned more quickly? Is high-potency cannabis more of a problem for younger users or for older ones? Uh, For some drugs, the dose-response curve is linear. Twice the dose creates twice the effect. For other drugs, it's nonlinear. Twice the dose can increase the effect tenfold or hardly at all. Um, Talk to me about about the, the changes in cannabis potency in the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years and how that factors into everything that we're talking about. Yeah, sure. So um, potency, THC percentage has definitely increased, like from the 70s, let's say. I do not think that legalization is necessarily a cause for that increase. Actually, it can be argued that prohibition in and of itself is what started this breeding program towards THC dominance. The moon race. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's what the black market demanded. Because that's what they thought all cannabis offered. I've told the story. Or should be. Exactly. Or it should be offered. Yeah. I told the story on the on the show before, but before I started working in the regulated market, when I was still on the East Coast in New York, I got a bag of cannabis and I smoked it and it did not make me feel high at all. Instead, I got like a nice body high. And at the time I was like, oh, this is like bunk weed. It's it's not doing anything. It's bad. Where now looking back on it, it was probably CBD dominant. And I just didn't know that it was an alternative. So back to my argument that I think actually prohibition has really driven this THC dominance. And we're just now beginning to shed with legalization this idea that cannabis is only synonymous with THC, that THC is what people want. And the highest concentration of THC is what people want. I do think that THC percentages are too high. I myself really only like to smoke flour that falls between like 13 and 17 percent THC. If I'm to smoke something that is over 25 into 30 percent THC, I can only take one very small hit and then I'm good for the night. Um, And so, yeah, I do think that like 70, 80 percent of THC and concentrates is really high. And actually, there is no research that supports the need for that high of a concentration of THC to be consumed. Right. Okay. Um, All right, so cannabis overdoses, bottom line it. Bottom line, you can overdose on cannabis, but it won't kill you. And cannabis has no defined lethal dose, meaning, again, that cannabis literally can not kill you because the compounds within cannabis do not bind to the places in our brain that regulate our heart, our brain, and our lungs. And so it can't ever shut down those systems. Therefore, with a cannabis overdose, what it will look like, it may look like anxiety, it may look like generalized discomfort, paranoia, elevated heart rate, drink some water, hang out with people you love, watch something funny, and it should go away within a few hours. Okay, solid. Um, Let's turn our attention a little bit to one that uh, wasn't mentioned in the Gladwell piece, but is something that you and I uh, to have talked about on the show and uh, talk about a lot sort of um, between uh, among ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's heavy metals. Mm. I'm doing the yes. 
you're not hardcore unless you live hardcorely. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing the hell, the devil horns right now. Um, can you tell tell us like about um, heavy metals, bioavailability, the plant remediation, and then I'd like to for us to talk about like heavy metal testing. It's not happening. If it were to happen, would it destroy the industry as we know it? But but let's start with with heavy metals and cannabis. Yes. And why and how and yes. Yes. So cannabis is a cannabis and hemp are bioaccumulators, meaning that they are designed for phytoremediation, meaning that they are very, very good at soaking up anything that you put into it. That means anything that's in the soil that is planted in, anything that you spray on it, anything that's in the air around it, they will soak up and accumulate in their tissues. And this is the reason why hemp plants have been planted at the site of Chernobyl, to literally clean up the radiation that is in the soil. And they're doing a phenomenal job at that. Would you ever want to consume that plant material? Hell no, because it has disgusting, toxic very harmful chemicals, including heavy metals, in its tissues that then when the plant material goes into processing, all of those compounds get concentrated down even further in uh, the extraction process. And so therefore you get a resultant oil that, of course, has cannabinoids and terpenes and all the good stuff, but also has some really bad stuff that can actually outweigh the the medicinal effects of the compounds and instead create uh, or do more harm than good. Yeah, I mean, like this, this to me actually is where the rubber hits the road as far as like where the concern should be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? uh, and it's something that we don't, I don't think that the, um, the systems set up in this state are prepared to take it this issue on like you know what i mean no, nobody I tests for heavy metals nobody tests for heavy metals i don't believe it's tested for anywhere i don't think it is tested for right? anywhere and that's where like i wish gladwell had included that as part of his argument because right. i think that that's valid if we want to look at the our argument is better than his our argument is better than his yeah. take that gladwell here on this pro cannabis uh <laughs> show but seriously if we do want to try to draw better, at least more well-researched correlations between cannabis and mental health and uh, mental illness and the development of mental illness, then we should be looking beyond the medicinal compounds that have such potential if we want to draw smarter correlations between cannabis and mental health or other health issues in general, then we need to be looking beyond the secondary compounds that have been proven to be rather medicinal and relatively harmless and instead should be pivoting focus to all of the toxic inputs that are going into these plants. I mean, with pesticides, pesticides, heavy metals, you name it, if it's around the plant, it is accumulating in the plant's tissues. And this is especially a concern when we look at the amount of hemp that we are sourcing from China. Right. Where China, I mean, it is so polluted and their soil is not great and full of heavy metals. And yet that's where a lot of the world's hemp is coming from right now. And a lot of that hemp first has been grown for industrial purposes. So it does not have a high concentration of CBD or terpenes or flavonoids or phytols. Um, but still, that plant material is going into processing for products that are intended for health and wellness. And that, to me, is inexcusable. That, to me, is something that we need to look at. In the same way that lead in children's toys. Exactly. Got 
you know, that was exactly. a huge issue with like the WTO and it was a big deal. You yep. know, I mean, this is functionally the same thing. Yep, exactly. And I do think it's a big deal. And I do think it's something that we all need to be talking about. And it's something that we at least need to develop some kind of regulations to test for. I would love to see testing for heavy metals yeah. come out. I, I don't know how many people would go out of business. I don't even know what the levels would look like. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Would it destroy the industry? I don't think it would destroy the industry. Okay. I don't think it would destroy the Oregon industry okay. because the Oregon industry has a lot of like... The terroir here exactly, is... Exactly. And like wonderful organic practices and right. it's very devoted to craft. And so I think that you would definitely see a die off of a few choice brands, but um, you would not see a... a complete obliteration of the entire industry though in other industries in in the country and in the world you may parenthetically um i you know you and i've talked about this um or i've talked to you about this but you know for for what it's worth like there is um there's a really interesting and, and, and frankly, like one of the leading social science um, explanations for why the the national crime rate dropped so pre precipitously in the early to mid 1990s after being at like off the charts levels through the 70s and the 80s. Um, one of the leading uh, theories behind why the, the crime drop uh, happened the way it did and this happened so precipitously is uh, that finally because they had removed lead and gasoline in uh, the late 70s mm -hmm. and that it after that all sort of got out of the body politic or the bloodstream or whatever of the thing uh, that um, that 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 there's a there may be a true correlation between that and the the crime drop because what of what because of what lead was doing in people's brains mm -hmm. see that's that is a perfect reason that's very interesting and that brings me back to the heavy metals thing which right. is like hey um yeah and like berenson why didn't you why did you not take that into consideration because he's not an expert because he's like this right. this you know alarmist layman who is freaking uh, loon whose yeah, wife yeah is... yeah i mean let's not i don't want to call him a loon you know he's like he's we're, fr we we're frustrated i'm sure he's a lovely guy and maybe i you know i'm sure he loon. would sit here and debate with us but like <laughs> You know, it just is sort of again. It's the, these sort of alarmist uh, kind of shock tactics are really frustrating because they they people doesn't. I really don't feel like they either of them know what they're talking about. No, in a way that you do. It's like wow. We're the... here. If there's a if there's a something to be concerned about, we're gonna ring. We're you know we're trying to. We've been trying to. This is not the first time you and I have talked about the heavy mm -hmm. metals thing. We're trying to ring this bell. Exactly. Yeah. So let me let's close out this sub this this um, segment. But I want to read this quote um, here uh, from a woman named Shailene Title. Do you know? Who she is. She's one of the founding board members of the Minority Cannabis Business Association. She's an attorney oh, yes. and a drug policy activist. She's on the board of, of whatever the Cannabis Control Commission is in Massachusetts. Um, and she wrote into the New York Times uh, when as uh, rebutting the Berenson piece that was published in the New York Times. And this is her quote. Um, and I think we should we should go to the break on this. Um, Any potential harm caused by marijuana is far outweighed by the harms of prohibition, stigmatization, and criminalization. Instead, a system of robust regulation allows for product safety testing, the enforcement of age limits for purchase, and the peaceful resolution of disputes among mar market participants. Mm, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. People are going to consume cannabis, whether it's legal or not. You might as well legalize it so we can understand it more, create smarter regulations so you can get people product that is safer and healthier, that doesn't have pesticides in it, um, and that 
awesome. And it doesn't destroy communities. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I think we're going to title this show, Take That, Malcolm Gladwell. Good. All right. Uh, we're not going to title it that. Uh, <laughs> let's take a break there. You are listening to This Is Cannabis on X-Ray FM. This Is Cannabis from X-Ray FM is available as a podcast through the Apple Music Store. Please rate and subscribe so that if you ever miss an episode live on the air, you can still keep up with us. All right, and we are back. If you were just joining us, you are listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. My name is Lee Henderson, and with me in the studio is my co-host Emma Chasen, and our topic today is, is cannabis safe? Um, Moving away from the Malcolm Gladwell piece that we covered in the first segment, I'd like to turn us now to um, an op-ed that was published in the New York Times last October, uh, which was titled, I'm Just a Middle-Aged House Dad Addicted to Pot. Uh, it was written by a gentleman that I know personally uh, who lives in Austin, Texas. His name is Neil Pollock. Uh, Neil is a humorist and a culture writer and the author of 10 books. Uh, he's someone that I met through my friend Arthur Bradford, whose show Sex, Drugs, and Basketball comes on right after us on 8 p.m. Uh, on Thursday nights. Neil, uh, like I said, Neil published this this op-ed in the New York Times, uh, uh, weekend edition. Uh, Neil writes in the piece, quote, Cannabis should be legal. It has medical uses. Millions of people, most of them black and Latino men, have unjustly gone to jail for selling what should have been easily available in stores. States with the political courage to legalize it have seen their tax rolls bloom and have created thousands of jobs. Also, it's delicious. But I'm not a child with, an int- with intractable epilepsy or a veteran with PTSD or a person who just wants to chill a little or Willie Nelson. Unless you count writing articles about marijuana, I'm not profiting from this industry. I'm just a middle-aged house dad with a substance abuse problem. He continues, like most pot addicts in denial, I spent years telling myself that marijuana isn't addictive and so I didn't have a problem. But clearly I did, and I'm not the only one who suffers this way. End quote. Uh, Neil goes on to detail his dependence on cannabis, talking about how he was high when his son came home from the hospital, how he was high at the hospital uh, when his mother died, and high at her funeral. Uh, It's a courageous accounting of something that is medically termed cannabis use disorder. Neil and I uh, have talked about sobriety once or twice uh, over the the years since, or over the period of time, excuse me, since uh, his op-ed got published. Uh, listeners may or may not know this, but I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I've been sober for about two and a half years. I use CBD on a regular basis, but am pretty much straight otherwise these days, not because I feel like I can't control my cannabis use the way I couldn't control my drinking, but mostly because my relationship to intoxication overall has just changed since I quit drinking. Uh, Neil and I emailed last night. He's wanted to let everybody know he's been sober 14 months and doing great. Uh, but we wanted to take the last uh, few minutes of the show tonight to talk about cannabis use disorder, which mm. is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and I wanted to start off. Um, I wanted to. I'll. I'll. I'll uh, bookend this this segment by saying there's an organization called SAMHSA. Uh, SAMHSA uh, is Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And they have a 24-hour hotline for people who think they may have um, drug and alcohol problems. The number is 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. So, cannabis use disorder. Yes. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. 
And it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. We probably know a lot of people who have it. Sure. Exactly. I first off want to say thank you to Neil for actually formulating a wonderful opinion piece. Right. And and formulating a a good argument not for uh, deregulation or not for not for recriminalization. Yes. Thank you. Not for recriminalization, but for hey, this there is a shadow side to this. It's not all rainbows and butterflies and cannabis does not work well for everybody. In fact, people can have a problem with it. It is called cannabis use disorder. When you feel like you cannot get through your day without cannabis, not for a medical concern, but rather for more a psychological uh, issue, then yes, that may be qualified as cannabis use disorder. If you are are choosing to engage in very risky behavior, um, if you are destroying personal relationships, if you are stealing just to get cannabis, then yes, you may have cannabis use disorder. Uh, the the good thing I'll say about cannabis use disorder is it's not something like opioid use disorder, right. where it's not something, again, that is life-threatening if you stop. It's not something that you're going to have to go into the hospital and yeah, really experience Yeah, there are not terrible withdrawal, withdrawal systems. There, uh, are, there are withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. They're not terrible, like you said. They're right. not the same as opioid use disorder. You're not going to um, be vomiting and violently shaking and, right. and again, be on the, the brink of death, The bedroom scene and, and train spotting. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. No, not like that. Uh, Instead, you will probably be grumpy and may not be able to sleep and may have some aches and pains. Yeah, and in fact, in Neil's piece, he he basically, in in that New York Times piece, he says, took me 48 hours. Yeah. You know, like that was my withdrawal period. And he was a serious user. Yeah. And that is wonderful. That's when we say, kind of throwing back to our first segment of this is a relatively safe and harmless substance. But let's, even, let's not sugarcoat this second subject, though. I mean, like this second topic. I'm not I'm not sugarcoating yeah. it, but okay. I'm setting us up for the Fine. way that we treat it. Okay. Because the way that we treat it, I think, is not, it's not approached well at this point. Because substance abuse agencies are rather undereducated around cannabis. They are not privy to the plethora of research that is coming out, nor uh, do they have time to fully research cannabis. And so their approach to treating cannabis use disorder is often the same as their approach to treating opioid use disorder. And that, to me, is wrong. Galling. That's unacceptable because it's not the same thing. Because like we're saying, cannabis is a relatively safe and harmless substance. Your use disorder, your withdrawal... It will not potentially kill you, whereas opioid use disorder, it does have high harm. There is high risk associated with it. And we've seen a ton of people tragically die because of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about this when we had A.D. Wilson Poe on, but life expectancy in the United States has gone down two years in a row with the first time and since World War II or something as a result. Yep. For crying out loud. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not to sugarcoat cannabis use disorder. That's not to say that people who are struggling with cannabis use disorder don't have a valid struggle. Of course you do. Of course. It just won't kill you, this struggle. So let's talk talk about cannabis use disorder. I mean, like, let's talk about um, sort of the 
uh, common understanding of it, and then you know maybe even the stereotypical sort of understanding of it of the person who smokes too much weed. Sure. Yeah. So you know it's defined by a cannabis addiction, which you can be addicted to cannabis. Addiction uh, generally uh, falls under or requires two definitions um, or two parts to the definition, which is your developing tolerance to a substance, and um, also it's in some way or yes, you okay. So addiction is defined as you develop tolerance and there's withdrawal symptoms. Okay. So with cannabis use disorder and cannabis in general, it can be addictive because there's tolerance and there's also withdrawal. Cannabis use disorder is marked by uh, an insistent and consistent cannabis use that oftentimes gets in the way of just daily life, right. of just functioning of daily life. And so that could mean, yeah, you're showing up to the hospital high or yeah. you are like going to um social events high because you need it just to get through or you're going to work high because you literally cannot function if you're not high um those kinds of things mark a cannabis use disorder um also do you think there are gradations of the disorder i'm sorry to interrupt you i think that there are for sure um i think that it's also when we look at like the age so who who uh what populations, what demographics are being diagnosed with this disorder, meaning that if a 17-year-old is caught with weed in a non-regulated market like New York right now, if a 17-year-old is caught with weed, they will probably be mandated to go to substance abuse counseling and they will be automatically uh, labeled or defined with a cannabis use disorder. And then they are typically treated right next to the 47-year-old who's been addicted to heroin for the Simply last 20 Simply for minor years. possession. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Interesting. And so, so that's where the treatment approach to me is flawed. Because if you put a you're in a group and you have a heroin addict right next to a 17 year old kid who was caught with pot and the substance abuse counselor is saying you two are the same, right. you both have the same problem. No, actually, they don't have the same problem. They don't. Yeah, that 17 year old was engaging in risky enough behavior that they got caught by the cops. And so that is something that needs to be addressed sure. and talked through yeah. and and it's of not course, nothing I mean that's not what nothing. we're trying to make the point it's here it's not is, nothing yeah. of course and yeah they may have a deeper problem with cannabis where they're going to school high consistently whatever it may be they could use some help it does not mean that they should be compared to a heroin addict because right. it's not the same apples and oranges um what do we think about? What do we think about? Well, you talked about seventeen-year-olds. Um, you know, uh, what do we think about cannabis use disorder in, especially? I want to say, especially boys or males. Mm, you like know, like the stereotypical like stoner. Yeah, uh, it's not even necessarily that. I mean, I'm thinking more about the developing brain. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. what are? I mean, there's a lot of risks and a lot of. Um, you know, there's a lot of negative uh, outcomes that come from you know being a being a sixteen-year-old who smokes a ton of weed by the way like i was yeah you know um yeah and it can cause cognitive distortion later yeah. in life it yeah. can um lead to a, a higher risk for anxiety and depression later in life it's interesting when you look at the sex difference the male and female difference and the male and female brain and how they respond to cannabis differently because we do females develop tolerance to cannabis actually a lot quicker than males. Um, and so we don't need to smoke as much. We don't right. smoke as much because we develop the tolerance. Um, whereas males generally smoke more 
because of that. Um, and so especially because of the sociological kind of like perspective that we can look at as well of um, like teenage into 20 something males, um, it seems like there's a higher there's a higher concentration of men using cannabis at that time that can, again, lead to cannabis use disorder later in life. It can lead to cognitive distortion, et cetera, et cetera. And because it isn't true that like, you know, male brains continue to develop well until like the early 20s, whereas yes. in, in women, that's not necessarily the case or yeah. it's different. You yeah, know? yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And and again, we're at a very kind of uh, archaic understanding of sure. the way that cannabis, one, interacts with the brain, two, interacts with uh, male versus female brains, three, the way that it affects long-term development. So that's why I feel like I'm a little like clunky on these topics because sure. we still don't have the data sure. really to, to hone you in. Were, you could never be clunky. Thank you. Emma. Thank you. I appreciate that. But we we just don't have the data to really hone in and, and draw certain conclusions here. Um, I will say that gray matter generally, I believe for both male and females, stops forming when you're 22, around 22, 23. And so you should not consume any psychotropic substances before then. Um of course, a lot of people do consume a lot of psychotropic substances before then. I mean, even if we're looking at psychoactive The legal age is 21. Exactly. Legal age is even 21. you're just following the law. Even if you are a kid who was put on Ritalin when you're young, I mean, you've already started influencing your developing sure. brain. Um, and so, again, it goes back to our, our conversation of is anything benign? No. Anything right. that you put into your body will influence your physiology. Uh, the really, like, super safe bet in order to lower your risk of developing cognitive distortion later in life is to not consume cannabis until your mid-20s. Yeah, and then, I mean, again, just to go back to what you were saying for one second, I mean, is, is the, are all of these, are all of these um, is cannabis use disorder to me, even in its most, even in its, like, bleakest form, a reason for it? for cannabis to be illegal, you know, no. uh, or treated the same way that, that methamphetamine or heroin gets treated. In fact, cannabis is in Schedule 1, which yeah. is rated as more dangerous than methamphetamine and cocaine, for what it's worth. Um, but and yeah, that's an I mean, important point, that right. the federal government still sees it as one of the most dangerous substances on the planet. So, like, all these people who are now crying that legalization has caused all this these problems and that public perception has shifted and yet we don't know and it's very dangerous and you need to talk to your kids about this. It's, well, the federal government still considers it as one of the most dangerous substances more on dangerous the planet. More dangerous than methamphetamine. More dangerous than methamphetamine. You know what I think is more dangerous than both those things? What? Sugar. Oh my God! It's the most <laughs> right? addictive substance so, I mean, on the like planet. For, for just for for argument's yeah. sake, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sugar and and uh, like red dye number forty and yeah, all those corn freaky deaky processed chemicals that yeah. go into our food. Anyway, we're getting off. We're getting off track. <laughs> we only have a few minutes. Um, but going back to cannabis use disorder, I mean, what do we? You know what? I mean, address to me for me, please, some of the arguments regarding you know apathy and. Uh, all of the sort of stereotypical arguments against cannabis use in general. Sure. Yeah. Um, cannabis there's, use. There's can. some truth there. Absolutely. We, and again, I want to all you know. I want to say, and I want to. We're obviously not pointing fingers here. Being hopefully we're not being preachy, but we all know somebody who smokes too much weed. Sure. You know. Yeah. And cannabis use can definitely lead to anxiety and apathy and lack of motivation, lack of focus, lack of concentration. There are 
a plethora of, of more quote-unquote negative side effects that cannabis can induce. However, there are also a ton of positive side effects that we know and that we've talked about. And so for each one, for somebody who experiences apathy when they consume cannabis, another person is experiencing increased focus and motivation. For somebody right. who experiences sure. anxiety, some person is experiencing anxiety relief. Relief from anxiety. And so it's both sides of the table. I think it's just important for uh, people who do consume cannabis to really check in with themselves, to check in and be like, whoa, okay, I, f I feel my mood decreasing. I feel my lack of motivation or my motivation decreasing. I just had this experience where I made homemade edibles, which I love to do. And so I had a ton in my house and I've been eating them every night for like a week. And it was like wonderful, great medicine for a while. And then um, on Sunday night, I was like, I was high on an edible and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break from this now. I feel like it's doing more harm and the harm was just making me anxious right. than it is good, which was alleviating my anxiety. And so I haven't eaten edibles the last couple of nights and that's been great and fine. You know, I didn't have any lasting effects. And so that's where people who think that they do, people who do smoke a lot of weed, I would just encourage you to check in with yourself. And if it works for you, if you feel good and it's helping you, awesome. Continue to do it in a safe and responsible way. But if you are feeling like you're experiencing- It's affecting your exactly, life. Exactly. It's affecting your life. It's affecting your relationships. Then maybe it's time to take a tolerance break. And that could look like two days. Right. And then you're fine. All right. Let's leave it there. One more time, I wanted to just shout out the uh, Sam- I guess it's not Samsha. It's Samhasa. I don't know. It may, may the, maybe the acronym is not meant to be said out loud. Uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, their national helpline is 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. Um, as someone who practices sobriety, you know, like, again, I'm not, I hope to not be preachy about it. Uh, it's... Um, and I don't think it works for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I don't think everybody, you know, I, you know, I think the people, um, I don't think every, I have friends who don't have drinking problems, who get drunk pretty often. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I don't think everybody has, as a sober person, I don't think everybody has a problem. Right. Uh, but I think that some people do. Yeah. And, you know, I'll just, I'll really just, honestly, I'm going to leave it there. You were listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM. Thank you. And we'll be right back. This is Cannabis is brought to you by the Open Cannabis Project, an independent nonprofit whose mission it is to build a transparent and open source repository of cannabis data. Thanks to nearly 80 years of prohibition, cannabis is suffering from a bad case of both misinformation and missing information. The Open Cannabis Project is on a mission to fill this information gap, creating an open data repository of anonymized cannabis chemical readings. These public records can help bring fairness and transparency to everything from intellectual property issues to lab result tolerances. Donate your data and help fill that information gap. Learn more at opencannabisproject.org. Thank you for staying with us. You are listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. My name is Lee Henderson, co-founder of Portland Craft Cannabis Company, Hi-Fi Farms, and with me is Emma Chasen, the founder of Eminent Consulting, and now is the time when we make recommendations. Ms. Chasen, ooh, ooh. what you got? I am going to recommend something called the Magical Butter Machine. Okay. Uh, I mentioned that I made 
edibles this past week. I did so with my magical butter machine where you can infuse cannabis into oil, into butter. You can make lotion in that thing. You can make tincture and it's really easy. It's all contained. You don't even need to decarb your flour before then. Uh, You just throw in your plant material. It grinds it up, mixes it up for you, takes two hours. It is awesome. That being said, if you're not an edible enthusiast such as or like myself and you like to make like herb butters or like nice like herb soaps or lotions, you can do that with the magical butter machine as well. It's not just for cannabis. I mean like a delicious rosemary garlic butter in there. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's really good if you like to experiment with different infusions and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Magical butter machine. Magical butter machine. Check them out. All right. Cool. Um, my recommendation this week is going to timestamp somewhat. Um, there is a timestamp this episode somewhat. There is a uh, Facebook meme going around right now called the like ten year challenge. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, where people are posting pictures of themselves in two thousand nine and then two thousand nineteen. Yep. And um, you know there is an article uh, that came out from in Wired magazine that is sort of theorizing that. This may be, uh, and I don't want to sound too paranoid. I am a critic of social media, as I think we all should be skeptical of it. Um, but there's a, I mean, look, there's a, there's an article in Wired, and I've seen this a bunch, sort of in other places, that's saying that this, this may be a, um, an experiment in trying to build up a database uh, for facial recognition uh, AI technology, mm-hmm. and uh, and that we should just kind of—that's something to keep a good eye on. You know what I mean? Lord uh, I want to read a little bit of this art from this article. Uh, quote, imagine that you wanted to train a facial recognition algorithm on age-related characteristics and more specifically on age progression. Uh, it would really greatly help if they knew, um, excuse me, you, you'd want to get a broad and rigorous data set with lots of people's pictures. It would help you if you knew uh, that they were taken at a fixed number of years apart, say 10 years. Hey, Um you know, and it goes on to say sort of like, even if this particular meme isn't a case of social engineering, the past few years have been rife with examples of social games and memes designed to extract and collect data. Um, just think of the mass data extraction of more than 70 million American Facebook users performed by Cambridge Analytica. Um, is it bad that someone could use your Facebook photos, photos to train a facial recognition algorithm? Not necessarily. In a way, it's inevitable. Still, the broader takeaway here is that we need to approach our interactions with technology mindfully of the data that we generate and how it can be used at scale. Uh, Finally, I want to skip down to the end here. Um, The broader message removed from the specifics of any one meme or even any one social platform is that humans are the richest data sources for most of the technology emerging in the world. We should know this and proceed with due diligence and sophistication. Now, I recommend this. Uh, It was an interesting article. And again, I don't I'm not trying to scaremonger about, you know, in this particular instance about Facebook or about memes or whatever. But, you know, I I sort of had posted this this thing on Facebook saying like, hey, I've chosen not to do this. this facial recognition or this 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 uh, ten year meme. This is why, and I got a lot of pushback from like friends of mine, mm. you know, saying that they have all your pictures anyway. What does it matter? I don't. I think you're, you know, stepping people stopping short for calling me paranoid. Well, they. It's true that Facebook does have your pictures, but they don't have them side by side. That can mm-hmm. be like easily then processed by an AI, you know, kind of uh, machine learning uh, algorithm. Anyway, it's just I found it very interesting. I find this very very this stuff very very interesting, very fascinating. Yeah. Oh, data mining. Um, data mining and just sort of of how 
and again, I'm not saying this is happening, but it's it's entirely plausible to me that this meme was created by someone perhaps uh, attached to Facebook to um, you know under the in the spirit of fun sure. and collaboration and sharing. Yeah. But, but no. really, there's like an, there's nefarious. not even not even if, not even necessarily nefarious, right? <laughs> but but there was a there was a second there was a real motive. motivation. Sure, yeah. I loved the the quote that you pulled from Wired because I'd also seen this. Yeah. I I did not do the ten year challenge because I don't really care about it. But um, I I've seen the argument that like it, they're using it to mine data, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, yep, Facebook has all your pictures, like whatever. But then hearing like, oh no, it would make a lot more sense for an AI to have a data set that was side by side 10 years apart like with a specific time period it's all under the hashtag of 10 years challenge so it's really easy it's just now all in one place it makes sense i mean we know that like russia is all up in this kind of business and zuckerberg already has told us that he doesn't really care about mining data at all so i mean i'm i buy it so here so yeah i'll I'll leave you with this this you know thought about the potential ramifications or implications yeah quote age progression could someday factor into insurance assessment and healthcare. for example if you seem to be aging faster than your cohorts perhaps you're not a very good insurance risk Mm. you may pay more or be denied coverage oh god abolish privatized insurance you know again i want to get to minority report here you know where they like read your eyeballs and give you ads from (laughs) the gap at the sub in the subway but you know look man you know this this whole facebook meme thing was going around and this was a a very interesting uh take on it yep i I recommend this week guys all right that does it for this week's this is cannabis please remember to email questions comments and musical submissions to this is cannabis at xray.fm also, please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at This Is Canna on X-Ray. This Is Cannabis is engineered by Will Romy, and our theme music is the song Impossible OK by Portland artist Motric. Please be sure to check them out on Spotify. Wubba, wubba, wubba. Good night and good luck, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>